chapter 1, last week we looked at kind of a busy day for Jesus. We looked at his first day at the office where he starts his job and his ministry and mission. It's crazy. It's, there's just this explosion of activity and ministry. He calls his first followers. He teaches in the synagogue in Capernaum, which is going to become his home base. He frees people who have been oppressed by the devil. He uh, heals the sick. He touches, we don't know how many people, but just a lot of people. And it's interesting. Word gets around town quickly, and then they, they gather around Peter's home and, and, and Andrew's home, and they continue to bring the sick. And those who need Jesus' touch, they bring him to the home. And, and so sometime, you know, we don't know how late into the evening he's going, but after this busy, busy day... What does he do? He continues to touch people because that's his heart. That's his compassion. That's what he came to do. But what's interesting is what happens after he's finally done. It says the whole town came. That's a busy time. But it says after he ministered late into the night, he went to bed. And we're going to pick it up today, the next morning, what happened, which is so important. Now, I, I know this, that with Creekside, and this is, this is really good. We, we honor this. We value this. It's probable that there's people in this room right now who have never made a commitment to Jesus. And that's good. We, we want people on the journey because that's what God's called us to be a part of and to hopefully be relevant enough, true to the scriptures, but yet relevant to understand that we want to reach people and bring people close to Jesus. And so while some of this may sound like, oh, this is just for Christians, it's really not because if you, if you do any reading and you understand research today, I'm reading all the time in business periodicals and other just mainline periodicals where people are saying how important it is to get involved in yoga and, uh, and to get involved in Zumba or um, get involved in just meditation. Now, 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 Zumba isn't in the Bible. Oh, well, it could be because David, it says that he danced before the Lord. Um, <clears throat> so I guess we do have biblical reason to do Zumba. Uh, yoga, I don't really know for sure, but I don't have a problem with it because I think it's great to do those, what is it, dog down devil or something? <laughs> I mean, it's bad. It feels like the devil's attacking you when you do that. But, 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 but what I'm going to talk about today, even if, you're, if you, even if you haven't really walked this path to follow Jesus, this can help you. And this is part of that whole thing of taking care of yourself so Jesus can work in you. So here we go. Pick it up in uh, verse 35. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Now very early in the morning. Now remember, he's just been up late in the night touching, healing, delivering the demonics. And I mean, just, he's been a busy day. This is the next day. Very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus got, notice the verbiage, he got up. show of hands. How, how many people here would say, I'm, I'm a morning person? Okay. How many of you would say, I can't really tell. Looks like, a, looks, looks like it's probably going to be about half and half. How many of you would honestly say, no, man, uh, I stay up late at night and don't want to get out of bed till noon or 10, whatever. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. How many of you didn't raise your hand? Okay, well, I would say that besides the ones that didn't raise their hand, we have a morning crowd. So that, well, that would make sense. That's probably why you're here for a service. And um, so he got up, he went out, he made his way to a deserted place. Some of your translations will say place of solitude. And what is he doing there? He's praying there. Now, Peter, Simon, 
And his companions, they went searching for him and they found him and they said, everyone's looking for you, Lord. And Jesus said, let's, let's go on to the neighboring villages. Interesting, some of you think, some of your uh, uh, passage, your, your Bibles, your translations will say city. Now, uh, the, the idea there is the only place in the New Testament that that word city or in the Bible is used that way. And it's the idea that it's a city without an identity. It's a city without purpose. It's, it's just out there. Now, you've got to understand, Jesus is in Capernaum. It's like surf town Jerusalem. I mean, not Jerusalem, but, but surf town Galilee. It's on the beach. It's beautiful. And what he's saying here is we're going to get up. I'm going to get up, and I know you want me to go back to Capernaum. But I'm going to go to these unidentified, just kind of cities, these little podunk towns that don't have an identity. And we're going to come back to that because it's a pretty, uh, pretty important point for us to understand. He says, why so that I may preach there? This is why I have come. So he went into all of Galilee preaching in their synagogues, and he was still driving out and dealing with the demonic forces. How are you doing today? Are you roaring, ripping, ready to go? Are you a bit frazzled? Are you thinking, are you counting down the days to your vacation? Are you energized or are are you overstressed and under-energized? I hope today we'll give you some principles and some ideas and thoughts that, that will help you kind of recalibrate. Kind of slow down. Rethink some of the things that maybe you do or how you live. Because Jesus shows us that you cannot keep going without stopping to take some time to refill. And what we see here is Jesus has this continual focus. What is his focus? Jesus' focus is really one thing, to please his father. How, How do you please a parent? How do you please a spouse? How do you please a friend? How do you please a boss? We all know how to do that. What is it? You listen to what they say and you really hear it. And, and, and then you respond and you do what they're asking you to do. Wouldn't you say generally that's how you please somebody? How, now, how many of you have been in this kind of situation? One of those delicate moments. You come home from work and, 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 and guys, you're reading the paper or you're watching TV and and your bride or your favorite child is talking to you. And, and, and every once in a while, you'll throw out a, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. And then all of a sudden, here it happens. And dad or honey, well, what did I just say? Busted, caught, deer in the headlights. So what do you do? Well, you, you go, oh, I think I heard a few paragraphs ago. You mumble something and you realize it's like from two weeks ago. And, and you're, just, you're just busted. See, you can't please somebody that way. But Jesus says, I go, I want to please my father. John 5.30 says this, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. Hear what? From the father. And my judgment is just. Get this, for I seek to please, my, not to please myself, but to please my father who sent me. 
All of Jesus' mission, loved ones, was simply continually hearing his father. And out of that overflow, I don't think Jesus was ever so busy that he'd go, oh yeah, yeah, I just blow the father off. You know, I'm not gonna listen, I don't need to hear. No, he was always listening. Jesus lived in this humble dependence upon his father, always saying, lead me, lead me. I wanna listen, I wanna hear. What do you want me to do? That's why it's so significant that Jesus follows up. Listen, his first day on the job, in the office, well, it's really out all around, but he's ministering and healing and touching people. It was a successful day by all ministry accounts. And what does he do? The very next day, he gets up, he slips away, and he begins to pray. This is really important. It's really important for ministry. But it's really important for you in business. It's really important for you in in any arena of life. That whenever you have success, don't let it go to your head, but let it drive you to your knees. Most of us have a real hard time with success. Have you noticed that? It's a lot harder to maintain and grow in success and keep moving forward than it is the struggle of getting there. Because what happens is, is it's easy to become dependent upon self, independent from the God that helped lead you there. And you begin to read your own press clippings and you begin to think, I am the the source of this instead of realizing, oh, Jesus, thank you that you would have blessed me and given me this opportunity. Stay dependent on Jesus. And every time you have any semblance of personal success or growth or victory, don't don't go, oh, wow, look at me. Go, oh, Jesus, I'm going to bend my knee. Because that will keep you from really blowing your head up. I love it because people always go, oh, pastor, I just want to tell you how great you are and don't let it go to your head. And I said, don't worry about it, it won't. Because <laughs> I probably got five others telling me how, whatever else I am. So, and, and, then I go to, and then I go to the Lord and I go, oh yeah, this is, this is who I really want to hear from. I, I, I want him to tell me what's good, what's not good. So Jesus is doing this. Now, Mark notes a couple of things here. Uh, He only notes three times where Jesus prayed, but he's very selective. These weren't the only three times now that Jesus prayed that that is seen in the Gospel of Mark. Luke 5, 16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places or places of solitude where he prayed. So Jesus, that was his habit. His habit was getting away to pray, to be alone, to be with the Father. But that's amazing because most of the rest of the time, obviously, he was always with people. But, but Mark chooses these three times as kind of representative, and you begin to see why. Uh, first of all, the reason I believe he doesn't focus a lot of time on Jesus' prayer, or he doesn't really even teach about it, is why. Who, what group, do you remember who he's writing to? Help me out here. That was a couple weeks ago, yeah. That was six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. The Romans. The Romans didn't care about pedigree. The Romans didn't care about thinking. They cared about action. So, so, so Mark just highlights it. Luke and Matthew focus on talking about Jesus' prayers, teaching about prayer. Why? Because the, the, Luke wrote to the, oh, forget it, Greeks. And... Uh, he, he wrote to the Greeks, 
And they were thinkers and they thought things through. And so he talked about Jesus's prayers. And then Matthew, they really wanted to give, he wanted to give the Jewish audience. Who did Matthew write to? There we go. Good. Okay. (laughs) There's going to be a test on this another week or two. So make sure you write that down because it is important because Mark writes to this, to this group of Romans. And so he doesn't give a lot of detail about it because they were concerned about action. And I know there's people that are concerned about action in here. And sometimes we think it's not important to pray, to have solitude. But Jesus was the greatest man of action. And he shows us the importance of prayer and time away. So the, the first place we see in prayer, his first prayer is right here. After the first day of his ministry. Jesus prays after serving others and giving himself to the evening. It says he gets up early in the morning. Now hear me, as I go through this, if I forget to say it, I'm not challenging you to get up early in the morning because I know some of you moms, you're like, get up early in the morning, man, I never get to bed. And, and, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this later if I get to it, but sometimes I can even induce guilt on people in this area. So don't, listen, I want you to do this kind of stuff when it works for you. Don't think that you got to necessarily do it early in the morning. It's a good time to do it. Start your day off good, but I'm not going to press that into you this morning. So what does Jesus do this? He does it to refill his tanks and to replenish his soul. Can I tell you how important that is? I'm going to talk to you sometime about replenishing your soul and how important it is. We understand the importance of getting our body in shape, don't we? Some of you, most of us, hopefully. Okay, a few of us, yeah. You've got to get that bod in shape. It's important. And you think it's not spiritual, but it is. You're the temple of God's spirit. And I'm going off here. I am not going to get even close to done today. But, <clears throat> but, you're, but we know our spirit. We understand how important our spirit is. Because that's the place where the spirit of God quickens and makes alive and lives. And that's so important. But you know what many of us forget about? We forget about our soul. That place, the seedbed of our emotions. The place where we feel life and pain and all the things that come. And so Jesus, can you imagine healing all the sick people and touching them and seeing these people that have been ravaged by demonic possession and he's touching them and healing them. I can't tell you can't tell you what a drain that is on your soul. And if you don't take care of that soul, loved ones, if you don't fill that tank, that bucket in your life that gets emptied, you'll pay for it at some point. I, I almost did two years ago. So you gotta, the Jesus does this so that he can, well, he can refill his tanks and replenish his soul. Secondly, he wants to recalibrate his life and his mission. It's where he goes to simply get a new word for the day, fresh direction. And I can't remember, it might have been my counselor that I saw a couple years ago, and I was just going through this really difficult time. But I said, and this is a great thing, write this down, change of pace plus change of place often will give you a change of perspective. See, some of us are really good at grinding it out. But sometimes we need to do, Jesus did this. He changed his place. He got up and he changed his pace. He got alone and it began to give him a new perspective on what God had for him. 
The second prayer is, interestingly enough, it's in the middle of the Gospels in, in Mark chapter 6. It's in the middle of Jesus' ministry. I'm not going to go into that right now. I just want to note it. And then the third notation is at the end, Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what is he wrestling with? What is he dealing with there? He's dealing with the will of the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. Oh, God, if there's any way we can make this not happen. Oh, no, but it's your will, not my will. He's facing death, and he goes there in solitude in the garden, and he's praying, and it's there where God gives him this strength to fulfill the finality of his mission. So Jesus prayed. He needed this quiet communion with his Father. Listen, isn't it true? If Jesus needed communion with the Father, how much more do we need it? If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? Oh, my goodness. Methodist missionary and author Earl Stanley Jones described prayer as a time exposure to God. I love that. He noticed that we're like these photographic plate that when we're exposed to God, his image gets more and more burned into our lives. What a powerful picture. So during those times when you're spending it with God, there's this picture, this image that's getting continually imprinted upon you. I, I wonder, Jesus, he said something like, he told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I would love it if somehow, some way, I could be so imprinted with Jesus that if somebody goes, you know, Terry, just every time I see you, it just kind of reminds me of Jesus. Would that be cool? Wouldn't you love that? The only way it can happen is his exposure to the master, to the savior. See, I love talking with Jesus. I do it when I'm driving, when I'm jog walking, when I'm golfing. I just pray. I talk with him. I give thanks to God literally all day. You got to be intentional. You got to be thinking about it or it won't happen. And we see Jesus' template here. Jesus got up. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I get up early. I do. I'm an early person. It's amazing, though. I've got to be really careful because I get up sometimes, and what I've started doing is I, I lay in bed now and I pray. And I know that's dangerous for some of you, but usually, you know, when I, when I get up, I'm up. I'm awake, and, I'm, and I just lay in bed and I pray. Because what happened is I would get up and I'd go into my home office. Guess what's in my home office? I would sit down at my thing and I'd grab my journal and I'd grab my Bible and all of a sudden I'd look over and there's my phone charging at about 5.30. Blink, 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 blink. Emails are coming in. Texts are coming in. And I go, oh, boy, 5.30 must be important, you know. And I go over there and pretty soon I'm totally distracted. I don't know, maybe I have A-O-A-D-D, um, adult onset of attention deficit disorder. I don't know. But it's so easy for me to get distracted and then pretty soon, oh, man, there's an email I got to answer. You know? And then it's by, you know, I turn around, it's like 7.30. Oh, my goodness, I got to get ready to go to the office now. Does anybody else struggle like that? Yeah. So we see Jesus' wisdom here, don't we? Get off to a solitary place. And that's why I just stay in bed and pray now. I don't know where your solitary place is. 
But there's really wisdom in these words because I think we have three things, don't we, that really attack our, uh, our, solitary conf- our, our solitary place in that time where we get along with Jesus. Wouldn't you say people's part of that? I mean, by now, Jesus, I mean, in, in one day, he's already kind of like a, he's a bit of a rock star and he's touring. And it's just started and the crowds are coming on. And so he had to say, I just got to get, I got to get up early and I got to get away. I don't know about you, but I, are there people in your life that kind of crowd you? In not such a good way? I mean, you know those people? Did you ever see the movie, What About Bob? <laughs> you ever had somebody like, What About Bob? It's like you couldn't escape them. They're there. Whenever they need something, they call on you. They text, they, they email, they phone you. I'm going to tell you, this is the truth. I mean, I'm not, I'm not making this stuff. You can't make this stuff up. But I, I, I don't go on Facebook very often. But when I... But I gotta tell you, I, I'm really trying to... I'm, trying to I'm, I'm deciding if I want to edit this or not. Um, I've already started, so you're gonna, you'd be really mad if I didn't finish it. It's not a big deal, but this is what happened. Every time I've gone on Facebook in the last probably two months... Have you ever seen how those pictures pop up? Facebook? Some of you guys aren't Facebookers, are you? And I'm not really much either, but there's a face that pops up. And what it means is they know you're on. You know where I'm going. Okay. This is somebody that has, stalking is kind of a strong word, but they've liked me for a lot of years. And when they found... I could just, this would be really funny to tell you sometime, but um, I won't tell you now. But it, um, <laughs> but, but every time they come on, it's like, I, I don't want to deal with Facebook other than just to check a couple of things, like notifications and stuff like that. Every time I've gone on, I'm, I, it's almost like if I, if, I, if I go on Facebook now, I just go, oh my gosh, <laughs> is, is that, is, am I, I going to see a picture? <laughs> you know? So I don't go on Facebook. I go on Facebook even less now. But some of, listen, people can get in your dish. They can get, and, and listen, let me give you another little equation. Needs plus opportunity doesn't always mean God's will. Because sometimes there are people, I'm sorry to say this, but it's really true. There are some people that will suck the life out of you. And you have to be able to margin, not marginalize, but you've got to be able to create, create space and margin. Otherwise, you, you will get the life sucked out of you and you'll never be able to get refilled. Does that make sense or does that just sound really bad? Okay, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. I love people, but sometimes you've got to, if, if you're going to get solitaire, if you're going to get, have some solitude, you've got to move away from some people sometimes. Secondly, planning. If you don't set a time to be with Jesus, if you don't get intentional about it, you won't have it. Good intentions are great, but you have to be intentional. And then the last one is, uh, the, one of the things that keep us really from this solitude is our technology. Now listen, I, I am into technology, not as much as some, more than others. But it's funny, I walk around church sometimes during the um, break. It's amazing how many people I And I'm thinking, if you're one of those people, I don't, you know, I'm not bagging on you, but I go, wow, get a break, get a, get a blow from work, man. Or your friends, I mean, just, you know, come here and enjoy the 
the community. And then it struck me. You know why some people do that? It's because they don't want to engage. They're, 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 for, for whatever reason, and that's neither right nor wrong, but it's so easy. If I'm in my phone, nobody's going to you know, talk to me. I'm not going to tell you what movie I saw because I know some of you have seen it, so don't see it. It's not worth it. But I saw this movie, and it's not a good movie. It's a bad movie, but I saw it because I was so intrigued with the storyline and where it was going. And you know what the, you know what the big theme was after watching it and, and kind of trying to figure out where it was going? Is that all of our technology at some point, if we get so involved in it, will diminish our capacity to want to be with others. It will diminish our capacity to be able to relate to others because we'll be so comfortable with our iPad, iPod, uh, computers, blah, blah, blah. And what, what, what I'm really concerned about is all of these things, as I've even seen it a little bit in my life, where it's very easy to keep me from focusing on Jesus and getting alone. Because, I, you know, with all my good intentions of being a good pastor, I'll take my phone or my iPad wherever I go. Oh, sorry, Jesus, I got a call. <laughs> Listen to this. Studies uh, reveal cell phone addiction. Do you, uh, do you feel anxious when your cell phone isn't nearby? If so, you may suffer from nomophobia. <laughs> That's the fear of being without a working cell phone. The term is derived from the no mobile phone, which is first coined in 2008 in the UK. Do you realize when I was in junior high, um, if I didn't have a, I, I had to have a dime so I could get a hold of somebody to call them if I wasn't home? I know that's really foreign to probably half of our congregation here, <laughs> but it's true. Get this. People check their cell phones on an average of 34 times per day. 66% of the people fear losing or being without their cell phones. 77% of the people between 18 and 24 years of age fear being without their cell phones. 75% of those people who use their... Oh, man, this is, this is TM, uh, TMI, but listen. Uh, 75% of the people who use their cell phones in the bathroom. Don't do that, okay? Just... And... Um, and 55% of women would rather leave home without makeup on than not have their cell phone. See, loved ones, technology has taken over our lives. And my biggest fear is that sometimes it keeps us from Jesus. Be intentional. Secondly, you gotta, you, you gotta live in rhythm. There's a beautiful rhythm and balance to the life of Jesus. He was surrounded by people literally all the time, clamoring for his help, wanting his needs. Have you ever noticed Jesus, as you read him in the Gospels, he just never looks rushed or busy, does he? I mean, he just kind of you know, goes from place to place. He always seemed to have time and energy for everybody, every person. And for his father. Why? Because he lived in rhythm. Let me give you kind of the rhythm that he lived out throughout the scriptures. He would give and then he would receive from his fathers. He was very public, but he always made time for private, whether it was with his father or with just a couple or a few of the disciples. He was with the crowds and then he would be alone. He was teaching and teaching and teaching and then he would get away to pray. There was engagement, engagement, and then there was withdrawal. You see this whole rhythm, often in the life of Jesus, and, and you see it throughout the Gospels. If, I, I, I hope that we can learn how to do that as a church. That's one of the reasons why you see we don't have so many programs we have simplified. We want to have focus. 
We don't want to just be busy doing things for God. We want to be doing what God wants us to do. Because it is so easy for the church to get caught up in the same rat race as the world. Have you ever noticed that? And they applaud, oh, we're so busy. No. We should be able to enjoy church and come and, and serve in the right time, in the right way, with the right heart, for the right reasons. And not come begrudgingly. And there are high-octane seasons in our church. And then we always try and schedule strategically so there's, there's some break time, there's some downtime. So we don't want people who are perpetually exhausted and depleted. One of my favorite authors, John Ortberg, wrote this. He said, ministry and life must be done in a rhythm of engagement and withdrawal. Wise followers of Christ have always understood solitude to be the foundational practice. Jesus engaged in it frequently. But what makes it so important? Solitude is the one place where we gain freedom from the forces of society that relentlessly mold and shape us. One of his mentors, Dallas Willard, noted an experiment that was done with mice a few years ago. Dallas Willard recently passed away, but the researcher found that when amphetamines were given to a mouse in solitude, it took a high dose of amphetamines to kill it. But if you gave amphetamines to a group of mice, it took very little, a real small dosage to kill them. But what would happen is, the reason is, is, is they would get hyped up and they'd run around and they would just go crazy together on this amphetamine and they would literally die because they just got so hyped up and just, um, Willard says, the, 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 the writer said it was like they were just like popcorn, just going off. And then he said, if you, gave, if you took one mouse and you didn't give it any amphetamine and you put it in that group of mice, mice with a small dose of amphetamine, it would get so hyped up too, even without the amphetamine, it might die in 10 to 15 minutes. Isn't it amazing, he said, he said that, you know, first of all, that mice would, you know, live that way, but, but does anybody else live that way? You know, we get around people and we can get so hyped up or we can get in the, the rat race. And I love what Willie, Willie Tomlin said about the rat race. She said, you know, when you're in the rat race, at the end, even if you win everything, you're still a rat. <laughs> and that's so true. Because we begin to live on the basis of that. We, we don't have intentional living for Christ. Let me give you just a quick couple of, of rhythms. First of all, there's a weekly rhythm, the rhythm of the Sabbath. Every seventh day, God said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to rest. I want you to worship me. Think about this, loved ones. Christians or even Jewish people have been doing this for you know, close to probably 4,000 years. And then the church has been doing this for at least 2,000 years where we, we, we just we carve out time because God said, this is what I want you to do. This is what's going to make you healthiest. This is what's going to cause you to weekly recalibrate your spirit, your soul, your body. And that's why, you know, I, I just encourage you, make it a priority. Did you know that the average attendance, what people consider average church attendance for a strong Christ follower now, is like 1.7 Sundays a month? And this isn't an attendance plea because Creekside, you know, I, I mean, we, we, we do really well with this. But I just want to make sure you, you challenge you to make sure you stay connected on Sunday to the body, to the community, 
to Jesus. Second thing is, is there's this daily rhythm of your daily time with God. The Sabbath is commanded by God, but daily time with God isn't anywhere, but it is modeled by Jesus. And if you read any of the church fathers, if you read any of the uh, people, I mean, just through the ages, they always had these quiet times. There was the mystics. There was the, uh, the monks. There are all these people, but even just the general rank and file. The reason we have the Bible is because people listened to God, wrote it down. And I want to challenge you, never lose. I'd like to say a daily time. I, you know, I would challenge you with that, but I don't want to heap any guilt on you. I always say at least start with three days. If you don't have a, a quiet time with God where you set aside solitude and you get away, and if you can work up to seven days, great. But start somewhere where you just have this time where there's meditation, there's thinking on God. And let me just share some things I've been reading and learning as I've been preparing for this. Spiritual growth isn't a one-size-fits-all. And sometimes we do that with spiritual life. Listen, I am so guilty of that, even with this church. And I have probably even produced guilt in a lot of you. If you knew what I was talking about today, you probably wouldn't have come because you said, well, I know what he's going to say. Read your Bible, pray, and journal. And I, hear me, I don't want to diminish those three things at all. They're really important. They're, they're important disciplines for me. But I've realized this, not everybody is built like that. See, good, good parents understand what? If you don't treat your kids the same. You don't treat them fairly from their perspective. You treat them equitably based on their uniqueness. You can't treat your kids the same because every child is so unique. And if you're a parent, you understand that so clearly. And God models that with his people in spiritual development as well. It is not a one-size-fits-all because God is a handcrafter, not a mass producer. I'm so glad we don't look like people coming out of the George Orwell story of 1984 where everybody is just lock, stop, lock, stock, looking the same. Do you remember what Jesus did with, I mean, what, what God did in the Old Testament with Abraham? He said, we're going to take a walk. With Elijah, he says, I want you to take a nap. With Joshua, he says, I want you to take a lap. With Adam, he said, you've got to take a wrap here. And he said, with, guard, with, with Gideon, I'm going to give you, give me a fleece. And God honored the fleece that Gideon set out. With Jacob, he gave him a limp with Joseph, a dream with Naaman, go take a dip in the river. And all of those things were points of spiritual significance in their lives that moved them forward. Jesus in the New Testament shows us the same pattern. With the young ruler, he was stern. With the woman caught in adultery, he was tender. With the scribes and Pharisees, he blistered their behinds. With the disciples, he continually challenged and worked with them. With children, he was gentle. And with the thief on the cross before he died, he was so gracious. And all of those were significant spiritual points. And I want to say today, God has, doesn't, you know, there's not one size that fits all for us. Because see, there's two kinds of people generally. There's contemplatives and there's activists. A contemplative person, they're a thinker, a feeler, a ponderer. They love silence, solitude, prayer, fasting, journaling, reading, Generally, most of their time being alone. The contemplatives, they live in their heart and in their head. 
But the problem with the contemplative is if we see them or they think that their way is the only way and the right way, they'll rust out because they will never engage in the most significant mission in the world, the church, and reaching the lost because they'll be thinking about it, praying about it, resting on it, and journaling about it. But then there's the action people. There's the activists, doers. They're all about hands and feet. Get her done. Go. People are going to hell. We got to teach them. We got to reach them. We got to love them. We got to serve them. We got to go to Mexico and build a house. And hear me, both of these are right and they're good. If you're an activist, then being a contemplative is hard. When I talk about journaling, you go, oh my gosh, can we get off that? I want to go to work. And some of you, and hear me, and this is not, some of you don't like to read. Some of you may not be able to read. Some of you don't like to write. Some of you may not be able to write. And I go, I'm, I'm just heaping guilt on you when you come. And I, and I don't want to do that. Because there's not right, there's not wrong, there's not better, there's not best. There's just how does God work with you? And it's key to make sure you have this balance and rhythm to your life because an activist is going to want to have a task and generally be around people. I'm, I'm kind of both. Like yesterday, I, I got to tell you, I, I got to play in two golf tournaments this week. And I don't get to do that very often, but I played on Monday with this group of guys. They were just clowns. And it was fun. And then I got to play yesterday. And I got to, I got to, I just, I, there was, you know, groups all around us. And, and I just got to tell you, some people go, oh yeah, I mean, he's just really a political guy. I mean, you know, he's author of in the flesh. But can I tell you, I love being with guys. I love playing golf. And I love playing golf with guys. And I love being out there because you know what? It was warm. It was green. It was competitive. And it was fun. And I got to go there. And I got to make fun of people. And I love doing that. <laughs> I do. It's kind of cool. I mean, in, in, in a nice, you know, nice pastoral kind of way. <laughs> and if there's a few people that were there yesterday that aren't here today, you'll know why. <laughs> that bad pastor. But I, you know what? And, 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 and this is going to shock some of you. I felt God there yesterday as much as if I was journaling. Because I see the, the and I tell, I, I get to live in the East Bay. I get to golf. I get to hang out with some of the greatest men around. That, that, they're not perfect. And I love that. But, but they're, most of them say, I, I, I want to get on with Jesus. And for me, it's, it, it's, it's God. Because I'm such a, I get to be such a, a part of that. And, and gals, you know the feeling when you're going knitting or something or Zumba. I mean, I don't know. I'm just throwing. Uh, okay, well. Oh, okay, you're right, 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 sorry. Shopping, okay? Whatever it is. I, I'm not a gal. Give me some slack, man. I see some of you guys going, oh my gosh, did you really say that? I'm just, trying, I'm just trying to keep my stuff together, okay? Give me a little, little room here. But you know what I'm saying? And some of you, 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 you can experience God in the same ways. Not, not, not my way, but in your own way, where it isn't necessarily sitting down and, and studying and writing. It's just, oh, 
I see, I sense, I know God's out here as I'm walking the marina. And, and, and that's not less spiritual. As long as we're coming back and being with Jesus who can replenish and refill. If you're not doing this, loved ones, I encourage you to get time. I'm going to get this book by Arianna Huffington. Um, I don't care. You know, it's, it's, I, I like reading secular books, too, by secular people. And, and she had this breakdown in 2007. And one of the things that she does now, period, uh, I think once a week, or it might even be the whole weekend, where she literally fasts from all um, electronics and technology. And she writes in this book, she says, you know something? I was talking to President Bill Clinton. He said this, when I don't rest and rejuvenate, every bad decision I've ever made is because I didn't do that. And I can't tell you, loved ones, how true that is. Because when you're under stress, when you're under pressure, and if you're not getting rest, if you're not rejuvenating, if you're not refilling the the soul, you know what? You can lose it pretty quick. And pretty soon you're reacting instead of responding. Jesus never reacted. He was always responding because whenever he could react and have a knee-jerk reaction, guess what he would do? Back off, Jack. I'm going to go be with the Father. And he would go and he would get down and he would pray and he would be in solitude so he could recalibrate his mind and his soul and his body. Last thing I want to just touch on real quick is Jesus had a clear purpose. And he said to them, let's go to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. That's his purpose. So he went into all of Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons and healing the sick. Isn't it interesting that the disciples, they wake up and, and all of a sudden there's crowds at the door of the house. And these guys, man, you got to know they're stoked about ministry. The adrenaline is flowing. The heart is pumping. They're excited. The crowds are coming in. Life is good. This is big time. You know, they probably want to set up the tents. They probably want to do the big stuff. And someone says, get Jesus. Okay. They go get him and he's not there. I don't know. Peter's probably going, where in the world is the Savior? So he said, I'll go find him. So he goes looking for him. And he goes and finds Jesus. And see, they already knew that he was probably a a man of prayer because they finally knew where to find him. And they go find him. And he goes, Jesus, people are looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. And probably some annoyance in his voice. And Jesus is probably just sitting there peacefully. And maybe he thought Jesus was going to capitalize on the moment, get right up, get back to the crowds. But what does Jesus do? He's just hit this home run in ministry. The people are flocking to him. And he turns to Peter and he says, no, nah, not going back to Capernaum. You don't know how intoxicating success can be. But Jesus says, no, nah, that's not what I'm going to be about. And, and, I, and I think there's a good principle that you need to know if, if you're here today. One of the reasons that we change things up and usually, you know, we do it at its peak 
is, is because success can be intoxicating. And do you know what th- the bad thing about success is? Is you can be successful up here and keep doing the things that you think made you a success. And pretty soon you're on this thing in business they call the descent to death. And you don't even know it until you got this momentum going down. And they say this, that you have to jump up here and try something new. Establish a new initiative before you start going down. And the problem with most churches is, is we want to do the same things the same way with all the same people all the time. And when you do that, you'll get the same thing after a while. Dullness, deadness. And Jesus says, no, great success, but now we're going to move it out and we're going to move it on. He says, we're going to go somewhere else. Yeah, but things are cooking here. No, no. Crowds are getting, no, we're not going to do it here. We're going to go somewhere else because, well, but Jesus, we got meetings, man. We got stuff happening. People are loving you. They're loving us. No. We're going. Well, why does he say that? Well, because Luke 4.43 says, but he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns because that's why I was sent. See, Jesus had a clear mission. And he's going to live it. That's why I've come. That's why I was sent. Preach the good news. We want to see you do more miracles here, Jesus. Man, it's surf town. We don't want to go to Podunk. No, no, that's where the Father leads me. See, it's so easy for us churches, loved ones, to get pulled off course, to lose sight of our mission and what God has called us to do. We can get distracted by so many good things with good intentions. There's a church in Concord. used to be one of the strongest open Bible churches when I first came here uh, in 1981 in Northern California. All of a sudden, they shifted their, their focus from Jesus to politics. And as soon as that shift started to happening, started to happen, that church started to lose its mission. They no longer proclaimed Jesus, but they promoted political issues. Do you keep a clear sense of mission? How do you, how do we, how do you maintain a laser-like focus on what God wants us and you to do? You follow Jesus. Because see, where did Jesus say we were going to quit going to, we weren't going to return to Capernaum? It's because he spent the night or the morning with the Father. And Jesus said this, what I hear the Father saying, I do. What I see the Father doing, I do. So somewhere he heard the Father saying, you're not going back to Capernaum, son. Remember, it's all the villages. I don't want people coming to you. I want you going to them. That's why I ask God, loved ones, for this church. I'm too old now to ask for it just to be big. I ask for it to be significant. I don't want our church just to be inspirational. I want our church to have influence. I ask God for us to be more effective at our mission of gathering to know him. It's all about Jesus and what he's given us so that we can give others. Freely you receive, freely give. It's all about growing in him to become more fully devoted followers of him so that we can know him and that is our motivation for all that we do. That then we can go for him to share the gospel, you, me, one life at a time, wherever we go, wherever we are, serve the poor and start new churches. See, I don't pray to Jesus to make us bigger. I quit doing that a long time ago. 
I pray that he'll make us to be becomers of his life. That we won't be the best church in the city, but we will be the best church for our city. See, I realize this. I can't, I can't grow a big church, but I can help grow big people. And you know what's amazing? You know what big people produce at some point? A bigger church. Because they're gathering to Jesus, growing in Jesus, and going for Jesus. Your son, my Savior. 